Well, good morning. I'm sorry to say your wives have been calling the church, uh, reminding you of your uh, New Year's resolution, so you've been uh, cut off of burritos. So, sorry. No, actually, there's something wrong with the uh, the delivery, I'm told, so hopefully they'll be forthcoming. As soon as they get here, we can just run over there and grab them. Uh, hopefully, they're on the way. But, uh, well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're diving back into Revelation 2 uh, to try to make sense of what is the, the, the apocalypse, the revealing of the truth. Not just the future, it's the past, it's the present, present for John, and it's also our future. So, uh, quick review, we sort of set up all the history last week, and we will uh, get into the text this week. Uh, remember, this is John, sorry, I'm having a hard time with this. Uh, this is John uh, receiving this uh, apocalypse from Jesus about what is the greater truth. And it is living after the destruction of the temple. It is living uh, under the reign of the second son of the general. Uh, so we have Vespasian, Titus, and now we have Domitian. And by popular demand, uh, I've got the, uh, the photo. So here is, I think, Domitian holding the scroll, uh, which he was renowned to do. Most of his statues have this. Uh, remember, Domitian is uh, the crazy balding emperor who insists people refer to him as Lord and God. He loves to show his status, which is represented by this scroll. It is a double-sided scroll uh, with seven seals that give him all the power, the priesthoods, uh, the office. He is uh, princeps of Rome. He is the emperor of Rome. And he he's the guy in charge, and he wants you to know it. Uh, he is... Uh, building sort of temple complexes for himself, one in the west in Rome, and then one in the east in the big commercial hub of Ephesus. Ephesus is the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire, about 250,000 people. It's at the head crossroads of uh, three major trade routes, one from Asia, one from Africa, and one from the west in Rome. And so at the time, Ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the world uh, with a large temple to Artemis. And uh, Domitian said, hold my beer. Uh, I can do better than that. And so we have a reconstruction of the temple palace that he built for himself. Uh, there it is. So uh, it's renowned for this massive statue, uh, 27 feet tall, uh, of himself. Uh, and I should have mentioned this last week. It contains 24 elders all around of Rome. So all of the great emperors, all the great senators, all the great generals, 
uh, are underneath Domitian. Hmm, 24 elders. Where, where does that, uh, where does that factor in? So again, we'll, we'll come to that later. So as you uh, approach Ephesus, as you deal with it, this is now the new big thing, uh, promoting Domitian, and he's holding his scroll. Uh, part of his megalomania, remember that Domitian reinstituted the Olympic Games, although he renamed them the what? The Domitian Games, because it's got a better ring to it, right? And uh, representatives of the various provinces of Rome uh, would uh, process, uh, sort of like today, with you see with the flags, you know, all the nations, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and Domitian, being the Lord and God that he was, uh, would call out what he was happy with and then what uh, he was not happy with. And so you see in Jesus's uh, presentation, his reveal of the apocalypse to uh, John, uh, the, the real reality. Uh, despite all this pomp and circumstance that um, Domitian is going through, he's not really in charge. It's actually Jesus uh, that's in charge, and he's the one that's going to do it. Uh, remember that Ephesus is now the uh, church of John. Uh, his home in Galilee is gone. Uh, the Romans have destroyed it. They have burned it to the ground. And so he, like so many uh, Christians, uh, Jews, are, are just trying to make their way in a world in which Rome has gone mad. And uh, he's he's far from Capernaum, uh, from the Sea of Galilee, uh, but he's trying to do the best that he can. So, uh, any questions? Setting us up. All right. Well, let's go back to verse two of chapter two. Do I know? Oh, all right. Yeah, well, why, why don't we take a break and you guys go get breakfast? On Sunday, did they have it for you on Sunday? Yeah. Let me go see if I can find it back. Yeah, sorry, I'm having a real hard time with this. It's in the box, Ken. Yeah, there, there's a. Talking about, sorry. Always looking. You have been. Like a bunch of hyenas on a dead. <laughs> That's right. It's just, uh, well, there's plenty over there, so please eat them up. All right, so let's try this again.
So Revelation chapter 2, 2. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So we talked a little bit about it last week, but part of the system that Jesus built into Christianity is falling apart. Uh, specifically the disciple, apostle, disciple, rabbi system. It's always uh, humbling to think that what we're reading in the New Testament is plan B. Uh, remember, Jesus didn't say, uh, despite what you see in uh, uh, Chosen, he didn't tell the disciples, I'm going to give a speech today. Make sure you bring plenty of paper to write down what I say, right? Uh, ma- make sure. Okay. Can you read that back to me, Matthew? What, 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 what did I, he didn't do that. Uh, dis- rabbis don't write, remember? They create disciples. They create people that have so internalized, so touched by the message that they can give the message as if Jesus himself was standing there. So Jesus creates 12, uh, 11, 12 uh, disciples, and their job is to spread this message. Well, uh, Rome is on a murder spree, and they start killing the apostles. So what do you do? you got to write it down. Uh, so there is this real kind of desperation about this time uh, to get the stories down. Uh, not only in terms of Gospels, but some of the letters and some of the writings. Uh, they're trying uh, to preserve the story. Now, in John's case, you very much uh, see him... Uh, continuing what Jesus taught him to do. Uh, one of the cool things that we'll see in Ephesus is that we have the writings of John's disciples' disciple. It's a guy named Polycarp, which means many fish. No, I don't care. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so John's trying to keep it. But remember, uh, John is the last surviving uh, disciple. So there was this system uh, where you should be trained by uh, an apostle, a rabbi uh, of Jesus, and then you uh, get disciples of your own. Uh, but the Romans are killing it. So there is this big challenge. And like we talked about last week, who is in the New Testament the greatest challenge to the apostle system? It's Paul, yeah, uh, because as much as we think, oh, well, Paul, of course, uh, nobody knew his teacher. Uh, he didn't have a rabbi. Uh, he just saw Jesus in a dream one day, and here he shows up, and then he starts doing different kind of things. Now, obviously, it is part of God's plan, and the apostles do uh, end up accepting him, but it was, it was difficult. Uh, so the church in Ephesus uh, is able to uh, resist, and we're, we're going to see a little bit um, how Christianity had this tendency kind of to, to, 
the fracture in the beginning. But question, yeah. I keep seeing this word suffering or suffered and now now tension is suffering. Is there is there a Hebrew word for suffering or yeah, it is. Uh, so we're in Greek here, and uh, he's he's going to uh, sort of lay out with the Nicolaitans what they're what they're suffering. I mean, part of it is, um, hey, where I grew up is now smoldering ruins. Uh, part of it is what Rome is doing uh, to both Jews and Christians because they don't make a distinction between them. But yeah. <coughs> It's not an easy time for Ephesus. Now, what do you think uh, Ephesus' secret weapon was in distinguishing one apostle from another? Who do they have in their church? So this church, Ephesus, is able to resist false teachers. Who is their ace in the in the hole? Uh, John. <laughs> yeah. So this is his church. Well, I'm actually I'm going to say it's home church, but it's not. It's it's his adopted church. It's where it's Midland for me. I wasn't born in Midland, but uh, Midland's become my home. So uh, it's it's that for him. Uh, Although certainly he he's been in exile and and that kind of thing. But verse four, but I have this complaint against you. Now wouldn't your heart fall out of your chest if Jesus said, "But I have this against you." Um, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Now, if ever you've heard a sermon on Revelation, it's probably been this passage, right? Remember your first love. Remember your first girlfriend. That crazy girl with braces. No, no. Uh, but in this, in this passion, in this first flowering of faith, uh, is something uh, that Jesus wants uh, to hold on to. But as uh, Tom mentioned to us, suffering has a way of changing you. And even though you may be holding on to the truth, it gets hard sometimes uh, to say the gracious thing, to be kind, to turn the other cheek, to continue to welcome the Pauls, or uh, as we'll see, Christians that have gone off the reservation. And so he tells them, uh, verse 5, Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. So what do you imagine they were doing at first? Outreach. Yeah. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the churches were these just unbelievable hodgepodge and mixes of people. Uh, my favorite example that's sort of laid out for us is the church in Corinth. Now remember, Corinth was the Las Vegas of the Greek world, of the Roman world. Um, to carouse is actually where we get the name uh, from Corinth, you know, to, to run around uh, where uh, you saw Artemis 
at the goddess of Ephesus, uh, the goddess of Corinth is who? Do you know? Hmm? Aphrodite. Aphrodite. The naughty girl. Uh, so there were all sorts of bad things. But anyway, in the church in Corinth, you have on the one hand the president, the leader, the elder of the Jewish synagogue. He joins. And then you have a Greek politician whose uh, campaign signs we still have recorded in archaeology. And then you have Roman patricians. Uh, nobles and then you have slaves uh, and then you have uh, women I mean it's this weird you never ever see it combined before uh, combination of people that are accepting Jesus this is because of that evangelism I mean the message starts in the synagogue and it spreads out and it's it's incorporating uh all sorts of people. Uh, it is the church at its best. But that's in the beginning, uh, when you're first in love. When it gets hard and it hurts, what do you what do you do? So Jesus tells him, Look back to your first love. Uh, and he warns him, This is getting serious. Look how far you have fallen, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Uh, so the lampstand is the solid gold menorah. Uh, menorah is the word for lamp uh, that represented Jesus in the old temple, in the tabernacle. It is the light that leads us to God. It is this oil burning lamp, the oil being the word for Messiah. Uh, so Jesus is sort of saying, I'm going to take the franchise away from you guys. Right? This is important. You have to get this. I know things are tough for you, but you have to you have to remember the the love in the beginning. You have to remember the grace. Uh, and so then we we get into verse six. Um, but this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Now that's hard. Uh, on the one hand, Jesus is saying, remember your first love. Remember the way it was in the beginning. Remember to reach out. But one thing you're doing right is hating the Nicolaitans. So who the heck are the Nicolaitans? We don't know, right? And so we have this desire to look down at the footnotes and say, oh, they'll tell us. This is that whole process of apostle versus scripture uh, change that I'm, I'm talking about. Uh, this is part of what we have lost, not completely, uh, but this is part of what we have lost in losing somebody training us to read scripture and then we... Uh, later on, learn how to train somebody else in Scripture. It was never just meant to be written. Uh, there's got to be this process where we talk, where we learn, where somebody that knows teaches us. Unfortunately for you, 
I'm here today. There's probably much better uh, people to do this. Um, but part of this really kind of breaks my heart. Because there are lots of sections in Scripture where we're losing things. Uh, it, it may be buried in academia. It may be buried, but but in the the conversation, the reality of the world, uh, we're we're losing these things. Now, in the case of these Nicolaitans, um, we have the skeleton of what's going on, uh, and this comes again from Polycarp, uh, which is the disciple of the disciple of John, um, also an early church historian, a guy named Eusebius. He's actually a Christian during the time of Constantine. And then much later, St. Augustine uh, will also sort of chime in. So we don't know all the details, but we do know the, 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 the basis of this. Um, John and Jesus, I guess Jesus and then John, assumed that the reader would know who these people were. And so they didn't necessarily have to, to give us the detail. Uh, unlike what we read in Paul, when there's followers of... Apollos or followers of Paul. Um, this Nicolaitans is a play on uh, two Greek words, Nike, which is the ancient Greek word for shoe, right? No, 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 it's not. Uh, what is Nike? Yes. It's victory, which is where the name of the shoe came from, right? The victory. Uh, so I think we have a picture of Nike. And this is Nike actually from Ephesus. Dun, 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 dun. And what does she kind of look like? <clears throat> Swoosh, yeah. You know, it's really unfortunate that her feet got cut off. Because I'm really sure she was wearing Jordans, right? Uh, <laughs> but uh, she's holding the wreath of victory and she's going to anoint somebody. Dun, 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 dun. Um, Gary gets the, the great award a couple of weeks ago. He was wearing his own little Nike. You know, uh, these are the wreaths that they put on the heads for the victor, right? And when when do you often get these uh, victory? Hmm? In the war and specifically for demission, the games. Yeah, um, that's that's what they put on their heads. So again, all this sort of coming back together. But man, what does Nike look like? An angel. Yeah, at least the way we in the West have depicted angels. Is this anything like we read in Ezekiel? Nope. And so almost from the get-go, we're beginning to see this this weird kind of fusion of Greek and Roman mythology life uh, with the Christian message. And some of that's okay. Some of it's just cultural and taste. Uh, but some of it gets, gets really, really confusing. Uh, so... Um, here is Nike. So, uh, the word Nicolaitans, uh, you saw on the other screen, is uh, the victory people. And from what these early sources are telling us, uh, these groups, or this group, um, really played up in the fact that 
Jesus was the Nike. Jesus was the victory. He was uh, the one that changed and saved everything. So that's right on. There's no problem with that whatsoever. Um, the problem arose, and I think it's still something that we we struggle with today. If you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the Hebrew religion, it is painfully literal. It's painfully um, worldly. Uh, now, it's it's a combination of things, but what did God promise Abraham? Well, is that... Yeah, but... What what was the deal? The original deal. Land for as many ancestors, more ancestors than you can change. Exactly. So you you have real estate, and I have a son, son by my wife Sarah that I can see and touch. We like to make it a little bit more. Well, the promised land is an eternal place where you go and reside forever. You will have descendants that you cannot count. Do you think, I mean, uh, uh, Abraham wanted a son he could see. Why didn't God promise the Hebrews heaven? Yeah, well, they didn't, they're not that really interested. I'm not. I, I, want, I want here and now. The Hebrews... Yeah, although, like, they grew up in Egypt, and they were obsessed with afterlife, right? The Hebrews, on the hand, are very, very literal. The Greeks, particularly, and the Romans picked this up, have this world conception that spirit is good, physical things are bad. And you still see this in a lot of our Christianity, that what I do in my heart, what I do in my spirit, that's all that really matters. Physical things, physical things are fallen. They are corrupted. The biblical message is, no, you need both. You need to believe in your heart and you need to act. And still today, right, um, we think, well, this life doesn't matter. Um, it's just going to heaven someday. Mm, that's actually not the biblical message. What you do here and now is what will continue through all of heaven. And so, uh, particularly Greek religions are full of saviors. Uh, whether it's it's Domitian, uh, there, there's Minerva's cult, that you sort of just endure life, and then eventually you will go to Hades and life will be good for you. And when you go to the afterlife in Greek imagery, you're just a spirit. So let's let's do a reality check for us. When we die as Christians, what are we in heaven? Still fully human in God's image to get a new body. Exactly. Um, I mean, very good. Uh, when I, exactly, and then very good. Next you're going to say, like, ah. no, so, so, yeah. Yeah. 
barely adequate. You know? <laughs> no, no, it's very, very, very good. Um, well, one of the reasons that we have in our creed that I believe in the what resurrection? Yeah, resurrection, the bodily resurrection. Um, Paul and others are very clear. When we go to heaven, we're not just ghosts. We're not just spirits that float around. I believe that as a kid. I thought that's what we were, right? We were just spirits that wandered around heaven and played harps and wore crowns. But um, this resurrection of the body is a real thing. Um, the Greeks don't get that. They don't like that uh, because the body is corrupted. And so how could you have an eternal corrupted thing? You, you, you don't want that. So there will be a form of Christianity called Gnosticism. And we're going to talk a lot about it later on. I just want to introduce it here. The, the Nicolaitans aren't uh, Gnostics. But they are introducing them. Um, Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, to know, uh, to, to have knowledge, like hypnosis is, is the same word. And it was this idea that spirit is all that's important, and the way that you manage spirit is to gain certain knowledge. If you have the knowledge of the gospel, if you have the knowledge of the victory of Jesus, the Nike of Jesus, then uh, you're, you're going to get into the spiritual uh, afterlife. The, the catch comes in, it just is a matter of what you believe in your heart. It's just what your spirit believes. It doesn't matter what your body does. And can you see how dangerous this gets very quickly? And to me, I I still see versions of this in today's world where my intentions, Jesus, are good. But I still drink and beat my wife and steal at work and lie and cheat. But it doesn't matter because I have the victory in Jesus and I am forgiven. Uh, you, you've just become a baptized pagan. So what? what is the issue in Ephesus that's leading to these Nicolaitans? Ephesus is a focal point, and it's a struggle point. Um, let me show you the Agora. Uh, this should be, uh, yeah, there it is. So this is the central marketplace in Ephesus. Most big Greek Roman towns have these sort of massive malls. Uh, so these are stalls uh, that you would, uh, for a certain amount of money and a certain uh, uh, concession to the city be given, and you could sell your wares in the city. A city the size of Ephesus, 250,000 people, this is big business. So, in order to gain access to one of these, you have to sort of sign, you know, the, the, the paperwork. And old tradition, uh, when you came to Nagora, this is all the way back in ancient Greek times, is that you would offer a sacrifice to the local god or goddess. So in essence, you're going to do business in this town. You're going to support the local establishment. You're going to support the local god or goddess. When Domitian is in Ephesus, he begins to add himself to that. 
in order to do business in Ephesus, you had to go to the Agora, and we have a, a, a replica of the shrine to uh, Domitian in uh, Ephesus. Um, it's... Uh, anyway. Okay, so anyway, it's, it's this little... Um, barbecue pit with a temple behind it and you had to come up and establish your loyalty uh, to Domitian as Lord and Emperor and you would drop a little incense in it. Um, we, we still have uh, the remains of one today. So what you would be saying is that uh, Domitian is Lord and God. If you did this, you sort of got your finger stamped uh, or a mark on your hand that you could go do business in Ephesus. Huh. Where does that mark of the hand come in later? Yeah. Okay. So, I gotta feed my kids. I gotta do business. It doesn't really matter. In my heart, I still love Jesus, right? It doesn't matter what I do physically, because physically things are sinful. So I go, I drop some stupid incense into uh, the brazier, I say a bunch of stuff, I go do business, and Jesus is still the victory. Jesus is still... So this is the remains of it. Um, oh, there it is. And you know what's really bizarre? People are still putting crap on it. What is wrong with people? Anyway, um, it's it's not much to look at today. There, there's a uh, Ken. Can we do the the other one? The 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 artist rendition of it. It's a little temple. Yeah, there it is. So it would have been a bigger deal um, to go. And right up front, you're putting your little, and uh, there it is. But if you don't do this, you can't do business. So what what do you do? Half of the church is saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm absolutely not going to pronounce that nut job with the bad hair is emperor or is, is Lord and God. And then there are others that are saying, yeah, you just got to get through life. You know, don't don't make this harder than it is. We're living in a bad system. This is a bad guy. We just do what we have to do to survive. And what do you do when you're in church and you see your buddy over there? Hey, I saw you selling at the Agora. Um, how'd you manage that? So publicly, you acknowledge Domitian, and then when we're in church, you acknowledge Jesus? No, 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 you don't understand. It's spiritual. You know, I crossed my fingers uh, when I did it. I didn't really mean it. And I'm making light of this, but there was incredible pressure, life-threatening circumstances, not just economic, but Domitian is executing Jews and Christians right and left. Uh, he, he's killing people. What, what, what do you do? 
um, if you have suffered the consequences, and Tom, you were asking about suffering, I think this is where all that, that suffering language is coming from. If my kids have gone hungry because I haven't done this, and my buddy from church has done this, I hate him. I hate him a lot. I don't want him in this church. And all of those, you know, divisions that the church had, well, this is what Greeks do. This is what Romans do. Jews don't do this. Oh, well, that Jew was doing it. Well, Jews would do anything for money. Oh, I mean, all that stuff you can see starting to come back very, very quickly, uh, where we're furious at each other. Uh, there, in, in later sources, this is the St. Augustine I'm talking about, uh, they get so bad they won't baptize each other. Uh, because you have done this. Uh, if, if you have sold your soul out to Rome, that's your God. You can't come in here. You can't come in this church. And Jesus is like, eh, guys, guys, but, but, what, what is this? What, what is this hate now? And what is this loss of love? Now, is Jesus happy with the Nicolaitans? No. He also hates them. He also hates them. Uh, and this, this has to be the real challenge for us. You know, I think about all the cultural pressures that the church faces today. And aren't there a lot? I mean, that we, we've got to conform, we've got to be modern, we've got to deal with reality. And I, I, I remember Ephesus, I remember this, where we just say, nope. Um, we've got to stay true to the biblical religion. There's this constant cultural push. You know, it's just spiritual. It's just your heart. It's just, okay, spirit is important, but so is physical things. What we do, the choices that we make, those matter. It's not the Christian we are in our imagination. It's the Christian we are in our action. That matters. So if they chose not to make the offer to the mission, how did they survive? They couldn't use the, the Agora. Yeah, uh, black market, trying to sell outside the city. Um, it, it was rough. Trade one eagle for another. Exactly. Um, and then it, the city finds out that you have done this and you're in trouble because you're not authorized to sell. Um, and that isn't, doesn't even begin to account for what Rome will do for you um, because you're, you're doing these kind of things. So what would you have done? You gotta get that thing on your hand, whatever it is. I mean, I, I'm not gonna speak for the other 12 in the room, but like, this speaks to me, the St. Luke's stuff that was going on, like, I find myself having to not be hateful, not be spiteful, not lock those doors, no one's allowed in here unless you think, like, that's, this is like my one spot where I'm like, I need to not be a jerk all the time. I need to go back and still be kind and loving. But I think the fact that this church existed was the way for a lot of us to not dip our finger, not stay. Like, if this didn't exist, I don't know where, you know, might have gone to the ACOX house. (laughs) (laughs) Well... And, and thanks for saying for that, because it, it's hard, right? Jesus is, is calling us to this high place of hold to the truth. 
I don't want you to go down that road, but be merciful. Be kind where you can. Remember, it's not being right that I'm interested in. It's people being changed. And it's... Uh, I, I'm proud of our church um, that we've we've weathered one storm, right, um, uh, with with separating from the denomination and all of that. But we we got to keep focused. I mean, it's it's not over. Uh, we need to keep reaching out to other people. And, and like you say, uh, I have a hard time um, with many of the clergy that I know that sold their souls um, to. To get the position of bishop, uh, to stay in the bureaucracy, to keep the power. And I just want to say, where's your calling? Where's your commitment to scripture? So, yeah, Jeff, I, I'm in the same boat. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard to do it. At the same time, though, you think about back in those days, the person could have got their thumb dipped, did, did whatever they had to do to get their thumb dipped. And think of all the thousands of people that could have ministered in that market square at that time, potentially converted, you know? Sure! So now, now we're back to the, yeah. Sell out. Yeah. I mean, we can convince ourselves and and justify ourselves. Uh, just, just un- unbelievable. Um, it's uh, it's tough, and it doesn't just happen. Uh, we have to make uh, very intentional decisions, hard decisions sometimes. You know, and hopefully you see how Revelation is supposed to be working, right? This is what Daniel faced in Persia, uh, in Babylon. Uh, remember the, the concessions he had to make and, and trying not to eat the food and eating vegetables. I mean, it was a hard time for him. You see it happen in now the time of Domitian. And then this is all to spur us into what we're doing right now to figure out how it applies in our life. What can the government culture force you to do that's against scripture? And what will you pay um, price-wise to represent your faith only in Jesus? And as you do those things, can you still stay tender and loving and open uh, to people being saved? It's a lot that Jesus is asking. But Question? Okay. It, your hair does look very good, though. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, I'm going to start to run over. So, Nicolaitans, victory people. We want to be victory people, but not that kind of victory. So, if no questions, let me try to end up. Uh, verse 7, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everybody who is what? Yeah, so Jesus is playing off of this now. Who is victorious? I will give fruit from the tree of life and the paradise of God. And so Jesus is saying the real victory, the real... And what what is the image of heaven here? The tree of life. Uh, in a sense, we're going forward to the garden. We're going back to uh, the the beginning. Uh, the garden, you'll be hearing more about this, I think. Um, the garden is an image of heaven. The garden, the tabernacle, the temple, the kingdom of God, heaven, are all the same thing. Uh, they're all this place where we come to be in God's presence because we've chosen to do it. We've chosen even though it's hard and we've suffered. We've chosen to forgive other people their failings. And 
we've decided to be body and soul who God made us to be. So, it's the first church, and this is the easy church. Yeah. The the image of the tree of life is this. Did they perceive that as being in the life of the or were they thinking it might happen here and now? Both, yeah. Both. Um, and really, I should say all three. One of the things we're going to inch our way towards is this idea of God being timeless. So for God, the past, present, and future are the same experience. So that's why we talk about the kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is in the future. It's both. And it really was before. So, yeah, they were returning to the future. I don't know. It's uh, When we get to heaven, it'll blow all of our minds because it's all timeless anyway. Let me show you one last thing. The Temple of Domitian as it stands today. I'm not tempted to go to Greece or to, uh, to Turkey, uh, but if I ever do, this is one of the places I'd like to visit. So this is Domitian's great uh, palace, and uh, it's a crap heap uh, today, right? What do you think happened to the Nicolaitans? They died out. That's what Eusebius said. You would think that the people that compromised would have been the ones that succeeded. But it doesn't seem to work that way. That's what I'm saying about riding the fence. Yeah. What, what, what is it? Cut your balls. Oh, okay. Yeah, pick, pick a side. Yeah, yeah. So. Well... Um, Today, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. It's the largest religion our planet has ever known. Most of our population does follow Jesus. We don't follow Domitian. Uh, we don't follow this 27-foot, I've got the power kind of guy. Uh, all that fell uh, to, to ruins. Uh, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Uh, despite some of the challenges that we have, we've kept the word. We've kept teaching. It's still here today. It's worked. Uh, it's just hard work. So. All right. Any last questions? All right, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do pray for your help today. We humbly, somewhat with trepidation, ask that you would give our church a report card, just like you did Ephesus. Oh Lord, we know we have been victorious in some ways. But we want to be victorious in the way that you set before us. Help us, O Lord, to treasure the lamp that represents you. The ability that we have to be the light of the world because you have been the light for us. Help us as a church to see what we're doing well. Help us also to see where we're not doing well and where we need to improve. Help us, O Lord, never to be afraid to suffer. Never be afraid to do the hard work, to become the people that you called Israel to be, that you called the church in Ephesus to be, and the church that you call us to be today. We know just as like Ephesus needed you, Midland needs you. 
Lord God, we're going to head out into the world now to do our own kind of business. And the world will want to check our hand for the mark. May we show that we do have a mark on our soul and our body. And it is the mark of your Son. Help us to be faithful in our agora. And never to be that which you hate. In your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll pray Pastor Steve makes it back. He's uh, had travel problems uh, getting to Vietnam, and we're hoping today he can get back. It's almost two days traveling from Vietnam in air, so I don't like airplanes. 48 hours. I really would not like the airplanes. So he should be here next week.